the Askell Business Brunch. Hello everyone and welcome to the Business Brunch podcast. My name's Hayley Dunn and I'm Askell's Business Leadership Specialist. I'm Louise Hatswell and I'm Askell's Conditions of Employment Specialist. And I'm Julia Harden and I'm Askell's Funding Specialist. And a very warm welcome to the podcast to everybody who's listening. And um, you'll know it's been a very, very busy time in terms of some really, really important uh, policy announcements with the both the Send Green paper and both the Government White paper. So, uh, Julia, should we come to you first? Because I know that you're absolutely steeped, particularly in the Send Green paper at the moment, to get your thoughts on that. Thanks, Hayley. Yes, um, I, I certainly am. So, so the Send Green paper, so because it's a green paper, that means that it's a consultation or there is a consultation as part of the paper, just for anyone that's not clear about that. And the Send Review um, was commissioned by government back in 2019, I think it was. And we have been on the edge of our seats waiting for this very, very important piece of work since then. It was understandably delayed by the pandemic. And, and this piece of work really builds on uh, the SEND reforms of 2014 that were included within the Children's and Families Act. And I don't think any of us would disagree that the reforms within the 2014 Act had the right aspirations. But despite huge, huge effort across the sector, the reforms are not delivering as they should. And that certainly in part is what this SEND review has been looking at. Now, obviously, I'm looking at it from a funding perspective um, and I don't pretend to be an expert um, as a practitioner. So um, any of you that happen to listen to this that are, please forgive me. I am looking at it from how we can address this from a funding perspective and having worked and talked um, extensively with um, expert colleagues who are practitioners. So the Send Review Green Paper was published um, at the end of March um, and the consultation runs until the 1st of July. And if you haven't had a chance to look at it yet, if you can, just have a, a scan of it at some point. So I'm just going to try and unpack it a little bit um, for, for um, colleagues that are, are listening to, to us um, on this podcast. So the review recognises three key challenges and they are One, that outcomes for children and young people with SEND or in alternative provision are poor. The second challenge they're looking at is, uh, or they're recognising, is that navigating SEND system and alternative provision is not a positive experience for children and young people and their families. And the third uh, challenge that the, the review is intended to address is that the system is not delivering value for money for children and young people and their families. So we think they've got the challenges right. We think they're that they're um, you know they're, they're they're very real challenges. And we also think, on a positive note, that there's a very clear direction of travel um, towards inclusion, which we are think is incredibly positive and anyone that's familiar with our blueprint will also uh, know that that's sort of our direction of travel there and that if we make the system better for children um, with any sort of disadvantage then the system will be better for everyone so this really um, plays to that so that's a positive there are, however, um, a few concerns that we are talking about and that's you know we, we've got to bring out those concerns as part of our response to the consultation. And I would urge anyone else that has the opportunity to look at this to do the same. So things that we think um, are are going to pose the biggest challenge in terms of making um, the the system work better 
are that there are going to be huge expectations on change. Now, that's not surprising given the challenges that we've already set out, but there are huge expectations on change. And we worry, particularly from a financial resource perspective, that if these changes are not properly resourced, there's a there's a risk of over-promising and under-delivering. And that's sort of the situation where we are now. So we'll be going around in a circle. So we really want to make sure that that doesn't happen. We we are pleased, although it is a, it is a concern as well, but, but the review does acknowledge that there's a systemic problem um, and that the way the system is working um, is quite adversarial at times. Now, that's something that we picked up in our uh, in a piece of work that we did, which we submitted to, to DfE um, as part of the sort of work running up to the Send Review and indeed the white paper. This adversarial nature where there are elements of the system that create perverse incentives that it seems like you know, if, if you're the family of a children or young person with SEND, if we can get an education, health and care plan, that's the golden ticket to getting the resource that we need. And that's that's what's tending to happen. But we know that then that is skewing where the available funding is going. And so one of the, the huge challenges is that um, early intervention is not being resourced efficiently but this is where the challenge around value for money comes because the system isn't necessarily working in a way that directs the money that is available in the best way that it possibly could so huge change is, is required here so the, perhaps the first question that, that we've got to think about is what happens now to avoid the sort of concertina effect of rising demand on limited resources because that's what ha is happening in the system as it is now and those young people need to continue with their programs of support. We know that some of the systems are ineffective, that's acknowledged. Um, so we've got to manage somehow to use the resource that has been made available or is being made available over the period of the sending, send re, spending review, for example, to make sure that those that are already in programmes of support do not lose out, but that we have the relative and necessary funding available to us to make changes to improve the system for the children and young people that are coming up through the system or entering the system now or in the next few years. So it's... It, an incredibly complex um, review and that's why it's so important that as many people as possible from as many aspects of the sector as possible look at the consultation. The funding envelope that we've got is uh, that contained within the spending review 2021. There, we know that there's work going on at local authority level uh, to address where there are deficits um, in the high needs funding block and it's the high needs block that tends to support um, special educational needs, disability and alternative provision. So that the funding envelope is there. We also know that there, some of the proposals within the review are cross-cutting and by that I mean that um, they, they, some of the funding will come from DfE and some of the funding will come from other government departments where funding um, has been allocated. And that can sometimes be a challenge as well to make sure that it gets in the right place at the right time. But it's really positive that these issues are being aired and that we're, we're 
we're standing up and facing them. Um, a final couple of points, Haley, if I may, and then I will, um, and then I will stop. Absolutely. We we are slight. We are concerned that, despite the fact you know that overall this is a positive piece of work, and we're very very heavily engaged in it, particularly from a financial perspective. There seems to be a lack of focus on mainstream SEND report in the review, and that's something that we will be highlighting. And that's really important from a funding perspective, because anybody that is managing a school budget will know that there are many, many conversations go on around um, the notional SEM budget, for example, and the requirement on schools to fund the first £6,000 of support that a, um, a, a pupil or a young person requires um, as a result of um, a special educational need or a disability. So we, we've got to make sure that we keep having those conversations and that the outcome of this review is at the very least a better understanding and a more consistent approach to how notional uh, SEM budgets are put together and what are the expectations on um, a mainstream setting in terms of um, the provision before any additional top-up money, top-up funding is often referred to, before any additional funding um, is, is given to the school. So huge amounts to think about but I have to say we're really pleased that we have got the opportunity now to discuss this and bring it out to the open because there's a feed, certainly it's been my feeling that this is very complex and that's why we haven't been talking about it. We know there's a lack of consistency across the country in the way that, that services are provided both in um, provision and cost model and at least now we've got an opportunity to, to talk about it um, and submit responses to government which is what we shall be doing um, and we're having lots of conversations with ASCO Council and with at round tables um, over the next few weeks so I guess if there's anybody that um, would be interested in, in being involved or, or has a question on that I'd be very happy um, to, to have a conversation with them about it because we want as many as much input as we possibly can get. I think I'll stop there because I've said enough. No, I think that's a, a fantastic sort of abridged version, um, Julia, of the uh, the Send Green Paper of what what is quite a very, very sort of meaty document. But I think, um, as you've said, I think it's fantastic to get into some of these issues because we, we realise that they are cross-cutting across uh, schools, colleges, against um, other service providers, local authorities, social services, CAMs all other sort of parts of the system that we know are under huge pressure at the moment. But one of the things I was thinking about is that you were talking there, Julia, for, for people who perhaps aren't as steeped in policy development as we are, what's the sort of difference in terms of the, the, the one document being a green paper and the other being a white paper? Does that give more opportunity for perhaps business leaders to, to uh, share their views or, or are they set in stone? Certainly for the green paper, the centre view is a green paper and a green paper means that it is a consultative process. So the send review includes um, a set of questions, I think there's 20 off the top of my head, um, which give you the opportunity um, and are very thought provoking actually. Um, and, and, and any interested party is able to respond to the consultation um, and, um, and and have a look at, and look at it from, from the perspective that it impacts on your setting. 
because this does impact on every school setting um, and we need to be make to, we need to make sure that the send uh, system meets the needs of all our children and young people with a special educational need um, regardless of, of where they go to school or where they live and inconsistency across the country um, is one of the biggest challenges um, as it often is with funding. Yeah, and it's also that it's 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 going to be impacting on um, schools now, but also schools in the future as well. So I think the more that we can do to get this this right, um, and particularly in light of the white paper and the the sort of structural reform that we're going to see, it's even more important that we're we're getting this right for um, individual schools to to be able to provide the best support that they can to to children and young people with uh, with with send needs. Absolutely right. Um, I think the other one, Julia, that we haven't picked up on, and and this is a, an area that that I feel quite passionately about. It's a policy area that that um, I know that you're very interested in too, is the links with the sustainability and climate change and education strategy. And I feel that that's a little bit of an opportunity missed at the moment to um, integrate some of these strategies together, because we know, obviously, you, you've just talked there about the, the challenges with, with SEND funding and the notional SEND funding that, that schools are dealing with. But also, um, I think the it, I'm surprised that we're not seeing sustainability, not just from a point of view of climate change, but uh, uh, from the point of view of sustaining the education sector for the future, that we're not seeing that as a strand within the the sort of uh, defining wording that's being used within the white paper for what a, a strong trust or a good trust looks like. I think through the work that, that, that we all do within the policy team, we're always looking for those sort of... Um, sustainable more longer term opportunities in terms of policy and I feel that's a real missed opportunity not knitting those together would you agree? I would completely agree because you know one of if you know back to the the, the send review one of the challenges is not representing value for money well value for money um, should be considered from from all aspects and if the structure the structures um, and you know the the, um, the provision that we are utilising and developing both now and for pupils in the future is not meeting sustainability uh, goals, then that's not a good use of the money that we have got available to us. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think we do need to think about some some longer term approaches, because I think we can all do things really, really quickly. But whether we can sustain them is, is a completely uh, is a completely different uh, beast, so to speak. Um, yes. And I think the, the impression that I got, I was really fortunate to be able to go to the launch of the Sustainability and Climate Change and Education Strategy, which was hosted by Nadeem Zahawi at London's Natural History Museum, um, which was last week. And they had um, prestigious people like Bear Grylls there speaking, um, which was fantastic. It was aspirational. But I was more awestruck by um, a young person. Uh, they had um, a young lady there, Phoebe Hanson, who spoke on behalf of the youth group who had been involved with some of the concerts consultation on the sustainability strategy and I was much more interested in in sort of her passion for it but even um, she was saying that um, she spent 20 years living on this planet with a teacher and she spent 20 years watching um, her daughter and the kids she worked with every day carry the weight of planetary collapse on their shoulders and she hasn't felt able to to help with that and feels that this work will change that and that this strategy gives them hope and I think 
think hearing that from a young person was just incredible. But I think there was also the sense from from Phoebe as well that this is very much a first step. Um, I think within that strategy, there's some really interesting proposals. We know now that there's going to be a new GCSE in natural history. It's very unusual in recent times to be to be able to get a new GCSE. So um, do see that as a, a hugely positive change. We've got the National Education Park and the Hub, the Climate Leaders Award. We know there's going to be investment for CPD, for teachers and for a new sort of innovative Gen Zero proto design product. But I think we can't get away from, uh, I mean, part of our role is to highlight some of the issues. And I think one of the big concerns that, that we share is the omission from the funding support proposals for the education estate. And if we look at, given the sufficiency of the capital funding envelope and the few allocations that are being made via the Carbon Reduction Initiative funding from the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, we know that there's a huge significant capital funding investment is going to be required so that schools and colleges can make necessary repairs and improvements. And in some cases, that's going to mean completely replacing some individual blocks or some individual school and college buildings. So although we're really welcoming again of some of those proposals, they really need to be underpinned by the capital for schools and colleges and trust to be able to deliver on that. Absolutely. And I think what what I sometimes find slightly frustrating with certainly with capital allocations is a new builds is is the pace um, with which you know you can have a really good case and, and, and put a, um, a a plan together. Um, and you know, for example, let, let's th- th- there's capital um, allocated specifically to support the sound review, which is which is excellent news, um, and and that's to provide additional places and also to rejig some of the geography, hopefully, because that also causes a problem and also has a sustainability strand to it as well. Um, but we know that it can take you know a really long time to get to the point where this new school is going to be open and and I would really like to see um, you know something done to, to to speed up that process with you know with the end in mind start with the end in view we always say that in any strategic um, thinking um, and you know I just wonder if we could get to that end point any quicker in terms of um, the, the changes in infrastructure or the development of infrastructure and all of that you know they're baby steps in terms of sustainability and the green agenda but they're all they would be steps in the right direction yeah I completely agree and I mean this is it's such an important topic and it's why we've we've chosen um, a sustainable future is our theme for the business leaders conference this year which we're going to be hosting on Wednesday the 22nd of June at the National Conference Centre so that we can really dig into some of this and I mean we're going to be focusing on sustainable leadership we're going to be looking at how we can sustain ourselves how we can sustain our roles and how we can also sustain our organisations and I'm quite excited about the format as well this this year we're going to do it a little bit differently we, we're still going to have our carefully created programme of um inspiring keynote speakers, we'll have policy makers and we'll have practitioners but also supplementing that we're going to have um, for delegates they'll be able to access a new selection of uh, video workshops which we're going to be calling Business Bites which I absolutely love that name, anything food related is is good for me. Um, So I'm really really excited about that and for anybody listening who'd uh, like to find out more about the the conference or who would like to come and come and join us then go to www.askall.org.uk 
forward slash BL conference and there'll be lots of information there. So because I think it's a really, really important conversation that we that we need to keep going with um, not just for us but it's we know it's something that children and young people um, care really passionately about and we know that it's something that a lot of our business leaders particularly feel passionate about in sustaining themselves and sustaining their their organizations um, so Louise should we come to you next I know you've had a, a really really busy month there Julia and I haven't seen that much of you because you've been so steeped in the the policy work that, that you've been leading on do you want to give us a little bit of an update of what you've been working on yeah, well, Hayley, uh, part of my role covers um, the work for the pay review bodies. So that's the STRB in England and the IWPRB in Wales. Um, pay for teachers and leaders was devolved in Wales in September 2018. So there are now two separate processes. And um, quite fort- unfortunately this year, those processes aligned exactly so as working on both of those processes at once, whereas in previous, the last couple of years, they've been staggered. So that's been quite a challenge. Um um, part of that uh, process, we've uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've given our oral evidence to both of those pay review bodies, um, concluding with the STRB, where we were in London last week, giving that uh, the pay review body uh, evidence. It's just the way they explore further uh, from the evidence submissions that we've already given. Um, and quite interestingly, the, the STPCD, the School Teachers Pay and Conditions documents, are quite starting to diverge quite significantly now between England and Wales. And as part of this, Wales are carrying out um, a complete strategic review of teachers and leaders' pay conditions and terms uh, within Wales. And that um, consultation on that starts on the 1st of May. It's going to run for three months and then there are going to be some engagement um, like workshops and some further meetings uh, over the autumn term. So I think it's going to be quite interesting for uh, members within Wales and also within England to see you know, how that progresses. Any business leader members uh, within Wales may want to give their views on that consultation, so we're we'll really keen to hear about that. Um, Although this is for teachers and leaders, you know, there are impacts for our business leader members. We particularly see that uh, it's one of the things that we, um, the points we make regularly to the STRB and the Department for Education is about the timeline and the publication of that report with the Secretary of State's response to it. And that's when business leaders, are in their, you know, with their finance hats on, get to know what the pay awards are going to be and any funding related to that. Um, so, and because the, the process in England was delayed this year, um, that's um, that's going to cause the report not to be published until July again, um, and we're not even sure whether that will be as I would say as early. It's been very late. It's been the very start of the summer holidays, and so we're not even sure if it's going to be as early as that this year. But we, you know, we do keep making the point to um, the STR and to the Department for Education that this really needs to be published earlier. Schools, it's very different. You know, they're, they're expected, they're given these deadlines for their uh, budget planning. They're expected, you know, those de- statutory deadlines are set by the Department for Education or the ESFA and then they're not given the information that they need to provide that uh, the information as accurately as they can. You know, staffing is one of the biggest, well, it's the biggest expenditure for all schools and academies, yet they're not given the information about what those costs are actually going to be um, for the budget plan. So um, that's a point we do keep making. The NJC pay award for support staff was finalised eventually uh, in February. Um, I think the support staff, the NJC unions, are just consulting with their members at the moment about some options for what they're going to submit in that pay claim for the pay award for 2022. 
that's quite delayed now. I mean, this is a pay award that would come into effect on the 1st of April this year. So we're already, you know, three, nearly four weeks past that process. So again, that process is going to be very delayed. Um, the Green Book was updated yesterday and published yesterday, so any members might be interested in that. That's got the pay scales for 2020 and 2021 included, and it's got a couple of other things, the job evaluation, a couple of bits of that have been refreshed. Um, we will have that information on our website and links to the new documents. Um, so that kind of leads into the other work that we've been doing alongside this, which is uh, the work on the task and finish group. So since I last joined you, which I think was back in February, we've done quite a lot of work with the task and finish group. Um, looked at um, we've uh, a part of the project plan that we've got a specific topic to look at each half term. We've looked at professional development and looked at seeing really even within the group itself that such a variety in the levels and types of qualifications that people are doing. And I think um, I'm not sure about you, Haley. I was quite surprised, uh, quite really pleasantly surprised at the, at the level of qualification. You know, got people that were doing masters. Um, which is just amazing. I think, you know, for business leaders to be doing those sort of qualifications, I think it's just fantastic. So, um, and it's just exploring the opportunities that there are and looking at different uh, funding availability and things like that for that. And we are working on, um, as a result of these um, different topics, we are working on updating and producing more guidance documents. So we are looking at uh, ones around that. And one that really, um, something that really came out of those uh, meetings was some guidance um, for some for people to be mentors, uh, you know, how to mentor somebody if, who's an up-and-coming or an aspiring school business leader, school business manager. Uh, so we are looking at some of those um, guidance documents that will be published in, in the near future. Um, the other topic that we've looked at, which was one thing that we brought forward, uh, and this was as a result of uh, member feedback, was workload um, we know that our business leader members are, face a heavy workload all the time, you know, all year round without throwing COVID and anything else into the mix. So it's just something that's really, really uh, kind of on our radar anyway. But it became, we became really aware of some of the issues. I think you mentioned some of those about cover was, uh, the people that were managing cover, that was a real issue at that time. So um, the D DFE have asked for feedback on that. So we're feeding some uh, the findings back to that. We've done some roundtable events with our task and finish group. And we're also going to be running some with uh, the DFE network leaders. And uh, we'd actually really like some input from our ASCAL members as well. So we'll be publishing some of the dates for those um, in the coming weeks. So keep your eye out. If you're able to join us for those, it's really, really helpful to have some firm, really concrete examples of the things that impact on your workload and things, recommendations we can give back to the department on how some of those things can be resolved and um, what needs to be considered before new initiatives are just brought in. They've got to really be looking at those workload uh, assessments and what the impact's going to be. So, and I think I'm really excited about the Business Leaders Conference as well. I can't wait to get back out and meet our members and see our members face to face again uh, in the flesh. We've we've been out a little bit more in the real world, and it's it's really nice to be able to do so. And I think um, just to, for people just to keep an eye out on the outputs from the Task and Finish Group, um, some of which they'll find out about at the Business Leaders Conference. And I'm not going to say any more than that. They have to come along and find out. Uh, I love that, Louise. Yes, we have got some very, very exciting um, 
some new exciting initiatives that we've got in traction at the moment that we're working on behind the scenes. And do you know, what? I'm so grateful to the members that we've got in the, the Task and Finish group, which is a group of ASCO members from both business leadership roles, from head teacher roles, principal roles, executive leaders who are giving up their time to, to work on this because given everything else that they're, they're dealing with, with COVID, with absences, with examinations, we're so, so grateful for, for their time and for them uh, volunteering to help us with this but it's been it's been so rich in terms of the insights that they've been able to to share the case studies that they're helping us to write and I'm really um very, very hopeful that we're going to come up to uh, build on the existing uh, paying conditions guidance that, that we had in place, that we can build on that with, with some rich case studies and with some other tools and, and guidance to support not only business leaders um, who want to, to look at their pay and, and conditions and their recognition, but also those that are employing them as well, because we just we know how absolutely vital that business leaders are and I think it showed through um, some of the business leaders saying actually it would really help us if we could work together on uh, producing a piece of guidance that we could share with those people who are mentoring us to, to be able to support us in our role because I think there's a, a, a real feeling that there are some great examples about how well um, either uh, trust exec leaders or head teachers and business leaders and other SLT colleagues are working together and supporting each other and we really want to share that because I don't think that story is is um, is always told so well Louise and I think that's something that that we can really help with sharing. Yeah completely agree um, I, I think one of the things that I've found really really as you said it's really rich and I find those meetings just so rewarding and so useful uh, to you know to guide our work and to, to give us that um information that we need to you know to, to drive the way forward one of the things that I found really really um, powerful is that we've got that such a mix of uh, representation but because we've got you know CEO executive head and head teacher members we've got some fantastic examples of good practice you know we hear about the barriers that business leaders uh, sometimes uh, come up against uh, through local authorities, through governing bodies, through head teachers in, in getting the pay and recognition that they deserve. But the, the good practice that was there within that group and the case studies that we'll be able to provide that actually, you know, really show how valued that role is and the, um, the level that it sits at where and how it's remunerated. I think that is just so powerful for those to be coming from those people already in those leadership positions and not just, you know, the guidance document is a really powerful document to help people but I think to have those case studies that come from other executive leaders uh, is a really, really powerful uh, piece of work. And that, that's something that's really struck me in the meetings that we've had. I agree. I think it's going to give us something um, really tangible um, that will build on that that fantastic guidance that, that we've already got to help Im improve uh, the experience for business leaders and um, improve on those relationships by people being able to have um, really well informed, constructive discussions around their paying conditions. And, and that's what we want to be able to help members uh, to be able to do. So um, I hope that um, there's going to be lots more that we are going to be able to share within the coming weeks. We are going to be making some, excite, some exciting announcement at the Business Leaders Conference, which is on the 22nd of June in Birmingham. We'd absolutely love for you to come and join us and we hope you will. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today and we'll be back soon. Thanks for joining us. The Ask All Business Brunch.